to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week coming to you from the Soho Theatre in central London. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting with the three regular elves. It's James Harkin, Andy Murray, and Anna Chizinski. And once again, we've got around the microphone with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Uh, Starting with you, Andy. My fact this week is that Finnish budget meatballs have so little meat in them that they have had to be renamed balls. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In Finnish, Pyori Kuita, probably pronouncing that wrong, which translates as balls. (laughs) Um, But the thing is, this is is not entirely fair. It's due to um, European labelling requirements. Basically, all the meat has already been cut off the animal, and the stuff they use to make the cheap meatballs is... uh, uh, you know, like M- reconstituted, M- yeah, M- mechanically reclaimed meat. Mm. Um, <laughs> but they are fifty percent animal. Um, they're just not fifty percent stuff which you can genuinely call meat, um, <laughs> like a chop. Uh, so, so they have had to rename them. I didn't realise meat stops being actual meat. I thought as soon as it's no. come from an animal, that's it. You're meat for life. I know. Yeah. Um. So Finland has the world's oldest piece of chewing gum as well, isn't it? Or it had. Uh, that was where what? it was found. It's a 5,000-year-old piece of chewing gum. Wow. Um, it's made from uh, tar made of birch bark, and it was found by a 23-year-old archaeology student. It still had teeth marks in it. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wait, Thanks, did, did they say where it was found? In was Finland. It, was just, uh, okay. <laughs> I was hoping it would be on the bottom of the world's oldest chew or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, no, it wasn't. Um, um, did you guys know was... that in weird ingredients in food... Sand is in a lot of what you eat. Uh, just, yeah. And it's just, if you look Sandwiches. at Sandwiches? And I'd never thought Sandwiches. of that. <laughs> <laughs> Not them. No. Um, <laughs> soup. If you have a soup sandwich, sure. Oh, uh, yeah? Um, Are they in soup? If anything that, so it's, it's down as silicon dioxide, which I guess we kind of all know is sand, but you never really think about it. So it's, it's put on <laughs> ingredients lists. I checked my soup in my cupboard as anti-caking agent, oh, brackets, yeah. silicon dioxide, and it's just sand. And they put it in like... Yeah, it'd be suits. like in um, grated cheese so it doesn't stick together. Yeah, exactly. That's that, yeah. <laughs> and there was a, a guy, an artist from Chile called Marco Evaristi, and he mixed fat removed from his body by liposuction with ground meat to make meatballs. Did he? What? Did, what? I bet trading standards got involved, didn't they? <laughs> did he eat them or did he serve um, them to someone else? Or he, did... I believe he definitely displayed them in a gallery because uh, he's an artist. I'm yeah. feeling he might have fed them to his friends. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Did he tell his friends? Yeah, I think they knew. Right. Yeah. Okay. Otherwise, that would be a bit of a bad trick, wouldn't yeah. it? Well, that's end of friendship. Why have we had no Christmas card this year from the Jacksons? <laughs> <laughs> We haven't seen them since May when I fed them my own body <laughs> ground up with meat that I found. Um, I found a few things on... When you said this fact, I just I love whenever someone is forced into having to rename themselves something new because the thing they were saying was not true or, or it was just they were stuck in a thing. Um, there's a great one. It's actually in one of the QI books of the fact books, which is that um, there's, a, there's a place in Australia called Shark Bay, but it was renamed Safety Beach. <laughs> To attract more tourists to it. First, first they changed the name from Shark uh, Bay to Shark Beach, and they still weren't getting many people in. <laughs> Guys, maybe it wasn't the Bay Beach thing that was, was putting people up. Well, what else could it be, Frank? I was reading 
interview with a Greek brewer, a Greek beer brewer, who was complaining about the fact that his beer that he's trying to brew keeps on being pushed out of the market by Heineken, which basically dominates the Greek beer market. Um, and his beer only has 5.5% of the market in Greece at the moment, and it's called Vagina Beer. And <laughs> I just keep thinking, is this interview going to mention at any point the fact that perhaps a bit of rebranding might work? Yeah. Another one that's a favourite of mine, there was a, uh, there's a sushi bar in Montreal that got forced to change its name by by a judge, a high court judge, um, because so the name that they gave it was uh, Fukyo Sushi, <laughs> F-U-K-Y-O Sushi, and it looked like there was a moment where they were going to try and defend it because it's a genuine Japanese word, and you know it, uh, it means good fortune in Japanese. Uh, it's also in a, a karate stance, apparently. It's also um, the main complaint that people give at the restaurant when they haven't liked their food. <laughs> But they, yeah, so their downfall was the fact that they have a Facebook page and they started saying, we have other ideas for bits on the menu that we want to put up. And this really was their downfall because the other bits on the menu were uh, a fuck you two roll, a fuck me roll, a fuck you all roll, and my favorite, the fuck your mama roll. <laughs> Wow. It's, uh, they've changed I like that, now. so they were embracing it, trying to embrace it. I think it was a joke from the beginning, yeah. <laughs> okay, back to bowls. Sorry. Okay, in the early 20s, there was a, uh, a law case between Uncle Luke's Mint Bowls, um, these guys who make these, these little confectionery things, uh, and Uncle Jack's Mint Bowls. Uh, and Uncle Luke was saying Uncle Jack shouldn't be making mint balls, etc., etc. Uh, and the judge decided that the term uncle could not be copyrighted as there are millions of un uncles around the world. <laughs> and he said, Uncle Jack is just as entitled to offer his bowls to the public as Uncle Luke. Wow. <laughs> Man, my parents are in tonight. <laughs> So some facts about Finland. Oh, why not? Sure. Uh, Finland is a brilliant place. Um, they have... Is that the fact? <laughs> That's my fact. Uh, Damn it, I had that one too. <laughs> they like uh, strange competitions in Finland. So they have the Mobile Phone Throwing World Championships, <laughs> the World Air Guitar Championships, the Wife Carrying World Championships, um, Swamp Soccer, and the finals of that are called the SS World Championships. <laughs> and I think it's too late for that one. <laughs> Actually, there was, um, just speaking of SS, do you remember South End on Sea? Um, their traffic wardens, I think, had a uniform which had SS on. And they had to change it because of too many complaints. Yeah. yeah, they could have had SOS very easily. That's why I'm paying attention to the on. That's yeah. true. Um, Finland's also got an ant nest sitting competition that you do. What? It's basically the idea behind it is there's a bunch of ant nests and, and you, you take sit your trousers them. down, you oh. sit on it, and... <laughs> And then you wait. The <laughs> last person to leave is the winner. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's one of the champions of the mobile phone phone throwing competition is also a hammer thrower, which I quite like, as if you're hammer throwing, you don't know what to do in your off season. You just go to the mobile phone throwing championships. But also in the wife carrying championships, then uh, there are various different positions in which you can carry your wife. Um, and people debate over which one is the most efficient. And there's one which is Estonian style, which is if you have uh, the wife's legs over your shoulders and hanging down, which makes you wonder what kind of weird racism was happening. Ari Estonia's sexual practices, whenever that was named. I think it was because because the first people to do it were Estonian. 
Um, but it oh, is the no. most popular. <laughs> <laughs> it is the most popular style, and it's the one that the winners always use wow. these days. It's the really? best one. Yeah. Like the Fosbury flop of yeah. wife carrying. Yeah. yeah. There must be every year someone comes in with a rogue new position. They've got their wife <laughs> in, and everyone gets nervous, going, "What does he know that we don't?" <laughs> and then they fail every single year. Yeah. And like, Estonia's going, "Oh yes, we did it." Um, <laughs> that was a good Estonian impression, by the way. Right. <laughs> Um, there's a boot throwing world championships also held in in Finland um, and for an interview they asked the two-time organizer not the two-time winner <laughs> the two-time organizer <laughs> of the championships um, and they have their own official throwing boot okay. so you can't use another boot you can't use a, a non-regulation boot and they have all kinds of they have anti-doping regulations and people are being kicked <laughs> out of a boot throwing competition <laughs> for drugs infractions. <laughs> Booted out. Yeah. They also have a mosquito killing championships. Uh, that is how many mosquitoes you can kill in five minutes using only your hand. Wow. <laughs> Are you allowed to use your other hand? <laughs> no, or is hand? it just... Uh, 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 uh. What? I, I think you have to go and find them because it's like there's a lot of mosquitoes in the Arctic, aren't there? Yeah, do you have a tiny, tiny gun dog to go and retrieve the corpses when you've killed them? <laughs> now you're being silly, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> they must have so many gold like potential gold medalists in Finland who are like, have the Olympics brought up the wife cat? No, damn it. <laughs> like, Finland would wipe the Olympics clean if these yeah. were allowed in. And... Yeah, if they didn't just have normal sports in the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always, in the news reports of like whoever's won the mobile phone carrying or the wife carrying or whatever, it's always, it was won by a Finnish man this year, as if anyone else is really going there. Yeah. <laughs> also, you can't call your friends to tell them you've won, which is a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we met, James and I met a guy, just speaking of throwing things, we met a guy two days ago uh, who, um, he's a scientist who, part of his major study, and he published a paper on this, and he's really proud of it, is that he throws snails oh. for a living. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, so he chucks them over his, his garden fence, and then he waits two years to see if they come back. Yeah. And he knows if they've come back because he puts Tipex dots all over them, and yeah. then he chucks them. He puts one Tipex on if one, uh, whenever he gets one in his garden. He throws it over into, there's like a railway that goes next to him, so he throws them over onto the railway. <laughs> onto the tracks. Yeah. <laughs> but then every time they come back, he puts another dot and another dot, and I think there was like one with 17 dots on it in the end, because he just kept coming back and coming wow. back. And he doesn't use slugs, because the Tipex doesn't hold on them, <laughs> so he has no way of doing it. Um, Sorry, we're going to have to move on, but yeah, do you want to... Another cool thing they have in Finland is fines. All of their fines are dependent on your salary or your income. And so uh, there was a Nokia executive in 2002, for instance, who was fined 116,000 euros for going at about 40 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour speed limit or something. <laughs> oh, wow. It feels like the mobile phone throwing was invented by Nokia, don't you think? Because he's like throwing it away. Oh, you're going to have to buy another no, phone now, aren't you? <laughs> um, do you know what Nokia used to make? Uh, they used no. to make gas masks. Really? Yeah. The Finnish army used Nokia gas masks until 1995. Oh, cool. That is good. Yeah. Can you can imagine. You've got your gas mask on. <laughs> um, we, need, we need to move on. Um, I've, got, I've just got one last thing, which is that um, the movie, just going back to meatballs, the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs in Israel was retitled It's Raining Falafel. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be good. In Finland, they've renamed it Cloudy with a Chance of Balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, time for fact number two, and that is Jasinski. 
Uh, yeah, my fact is that uh, Queen Victoria's acquaintance once had to apologise to her after her pet jaguar killed three of the Queen's pet deer. <laughs> wow. Um, which I just think would have been a really awkward moment. And... It's bad planning, though, isn't it? Where, where can I leave the jaguar? Just put him in with the deer. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> That, yeah, I do. It's an amazing sentence. That is the closest sentence to the kind of otherworldliness of royalty. Mm. When yeah. you're having to apologize that you're Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> but this woman, wasn't, she wasn't a royal, was she? No, she was, by a weird coincidence, she was Bosie's aunt. Do you guys know Bosie? Like Oscar, oh, Oscar Wilde's lover's yeah. aunt. Um, so, and she was an amazing character. She's called Lady Florence Dixie. She was an explorer. She was a raging 19th century feminist. Um, she picked up the Jaguar in Patagonia when she was chased up a tree by a Jaguar mother. And she was in this tree and she had to shoot the Jaguar mother dead. And then she felt bad for the, the baby Jaguar. And so she brought it home. And she recounted all this in a letter to Charles Darwin, in fact. Wow. Uh, they were correspondents. She did correct This Darwin. is such a name drop of a story. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Queen Victoria's uh, because my son is dating Oscar Wilde. And um, anyway, Darwin, the thing is, is that is. Could you put any more... She was well connected. Yeah, wow. Uh, what I love about her is the guy who she married. You know this guy? He was called Sir Alexander Beaumont Churchill Dixie, and his nickname was Sir ABCD. <laughs> Good guy, isn't it? I know another one of his nicknames, actually. So they were known in court circles, apparently, as Sir Sometimes and Lady Always Drunk. <laughs> I think she enjoyed a good time I actually don't think Queen Victoria would have liked her very much because A, her jaguar killed Queen Victoria's <laughs> beloved pet deer and was then sent to a zoo but also her, you know John Brown Queen Victoria's lover of her later years Lady Florence Dixie claimed that she'd been attacked by Irish transvestites in the grounds of Windsor Palace and demanded that that be investigated. And so John Brown was sent out into the wet cold. And he died about six months later of a cold he caught out doing oh, that. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Six months later of a cold he caught? Wow, that is a big cold. Not a good immune system. <laughs> Mega <Yeah>. man flu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I read, so I've never looked into Queen Victoria before. Um, she was such a badass. She was so cool. Yeah, she wore crotchless underwear. She, what? She did. She wore crotchless. I, saw I Fiona... think you might be Googling the wrong person. <laughs> Are you Googling Victoria's Secret? <laughs> no, she... she um... How is that badass? There's only badass if you're horse riding or something. I just... not... <laughs> I've not... It's not like hard. <laughs> <laughs> Playing it fast and loose with the word. Yeah. <laughs> I was building up to the more badass Sorry, examples. Sorry, go on. <laughs> they, I saw that Fiona Bruce on An Antiques Roadshow. They were showing that, uh, they were selling them, and they were like, this is a crotchless bit of underwear. Actually, what happened was when she died, her underwear was auctioned off to people, I think. And she had enormous bloomers. Like, she yeah. was very big by the end of her life. In fact, the circumference of Queen Victoria's waist by the time she died was larger than her height. Wow. Which is quite impressive. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. she was technically the wrong way up for the last <laughs> years of her life. <laughs> Very sad. Very sad. Um, do you know the first thing she did after her fi exhausting five-hour coronation ceremony? She ran upstairs to wash her spaniel. <laughs> Which was a spaniel? She had a spaniel called Dash, or Dashie, oh, yeah. and she loved it so much. She loved all her animals, a huge amount, actually. Yeah. She 
was um, when one of her dogs died, she had to be sedated. She was so upset. And she had a parrot called Coco, which could sing God Save the Queen, which was a fun, <laughs> fun trick. Um, yeah, that is the it. most arrogant thing I've ever heard of anyone doing with their pet. I think no, I think her family taught it to sing "God Save the Queen," and then they they you know they oh, okay. revealed it to her, and she was delighted. You know, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah. She and and she and Albert had huge arguments as well. They had they had not. They're painted as having had a very, very rosy marriage, but actually she was very angry with him. She was having children all the time. She at one point had nine children under 15 years old, which is a lot. Whoa. And she was just constantly busy having children. And so Albert had a lot of the responsibilities of state farmed out to him. So he did a lot of dealing with parliament in his life. But she was very angry about that. He had to go and put notes under the door apologizing when he'd wielded too much power. <laughs> but so, like, I, because she has the reputation of the, the famous quote of, we are not amused. Mm. Um, and so it's attributed to her, but there is no direct evidence that she ever said it. And the thing that we have from her staff and family, they are on record as saying that she didn't say it and that she was, in fact, immensely amused. <laughs> That's such a lovely PR push. Actually, she was immensely amused. <laughs> so, no further questions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Some things on pets, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, Rudolf II, the Habsburg Emperor and King of Hungary, he had a pet lion, uh, and he had his horoscope read by Tycho Brahe, uh, a friend of the show, um, <laughs> who told him that the king and the lion had the same star sign. Uh, and so when the lion died, Rudolf shut himself in his room, was convinced he was going to die as well, and he died three days later. Oh, really? Because wow. yeah. Tycho Brahe, we've talked about him before, but um, he was a serious scientist who understood that astrology was all complete bollocks, but it was how he made all his yeah. money, wasn't it? So he kept on, poor guy, yeah. his whole life having to feed these guys yeah. lies. He should have got a pet tortoise or something. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have been, you can't throw someone to the tortoise, can you? <laughs> Uh, during the Civil War, another friend of the show, Prince Rupert of the Rhine. Um, <laughs> We're very popular with <laughs> dead people. Uh, no, he had a poodle called Boy, uh, who he trained to cock his leg and urinate on cue whenever the name of his enemy, um, Commander Pym, was spoken. So whenever he said his enemy, the dog would urinate. Uh, and the people thought that he was Satan in disguise, this dog. Uh, the enemy thought that. And they thought he was immune to bullets and could catch bullets fired at Rupert in his mouth. That's Rupert's had some. He's had some good PR done. Really good PR. People isn't it? did believe amazing nonsense, didn't they, back in the day? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't true. I it just, wasn't true. No, no. Um, um, I, oh, sorry, you go. Darley used to have a pet ocelot who he took everywhere with him. And if the ocelot urinated on one of his paintings when he was painting it, he would charge the buyer more for it. He would charge wow. the buyer. Charge the buyer more. Oh right. When he sold a painting, he'd be like, "My ocelot, my ocelot weed on this." So. Yeah. That's 10% increase on the price. <laughs> Joint work. Wow. Um, the first budgies cost as much as a house. <laughs> <laughs> Budgie or house? Budgie. <laughs> Darling, I really think we need to go for the house. <laughs> Let's Come on, we've got to get on the budgie ladder. <laughs> um, they don't need yeah, ladders. Were, they, in the 19th century, in 1845, say, they cost about 50 quid, which for a working man was an annual salary. And there was a budgie boom as well, where the value shot up because demand outstripped supply so much because they had to be brought over from Australia. Do, do you know where I found out the budgie costing as much as the house thing? Jeff Capes, former Britain's Strongest Man competitor, uh, Jeff Capes, now keeps budgies. And he's the president of the Budgie Society. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was looking into royals with pets because I just, I, I just think it's so bizarre because they do get given uh, a lot of 
presents, which end up being exotic animals and stuff. And Henry III of France, he had this thing where he used to carry, so he had pets, he had three dogs, and he used to carry them in a basket around his neck, like a big bit of bling, and they used to bark at people they didn't trust, and he'd be like, get away from me. If they didn't <laughs> like the person, the dogs would bark them away. But I was, so I looked into the Tower of London because I've met through stand-up uh, a guy who is the Raven Master of the Tower of London, who does stand-up as well, weirdly. <laughs> it's crazy, he looks after the ravens, he lives there, he, that, that's his job, he does stand-up, he has dick jokes, it's amazing, right? And, but basically, the Tower of London has extraordinary animals, or at least did back in the day. They had yeah. a polar bear, apparently it was a white bear, no one knows for sure, I, I can't see anyone Yeah, just and it used a... to um, swim in the Thames, right? Yeah, 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 it was kept on a long, it, that was Henry III of England, yes, there, wasn't it? Yes. It was kept on a deliberately long lead, so it could go for a swim. <laughs> but I, I went to the Not tower. many visitors to the tower in those days, were there? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, it's, it's very confusing, because it sounds like the animals had a lot of liberties. They, I went to the Tower of London's website, and they have a whole page on the animals that used to live there, and they included, they had monkeys, which um, the monkeys were actually, they lived in a furnished room. So you could go and visit these monkeys and it says, be amused by their antics and human-like behavior. Um, but they were removed eventually because uh, one of them tore a boy's leg off in a, da <laughs> in a dangerous manner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which makes it sound like the first time they did it, it was kind of quite well, funny. And they, uh, <laughs> you did it safely this time. So we're gonna, we're gonna keep the boys coming into the room. <laughs> But you are on a warning now. <laughs> um, um, we're going to have to move on. Uh, but any, any last minutes? Uh... I just have a pet fact. In 2004, a man called Jake Perry owned the Guinness World Record holder for the world's oldest cat. Okay. In 2005, that record was broken by another one of Jake Perry's cats. Oh, this cool. man has wow. owned the two oldest cats by chance. Or he's cats. lying about how old they are. <laughs> or he <laughs> painted the first one a different colour. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, it died. <laughs> the other one died. <laughs> they counted the number of rings. They were old. <laughs> it's terribly um, sad. They have to chop the cats down <laughs> to find out how old That's they were. That's how the first one died. <laughs> Um, and yeah, he said he feeds his cats bacon, eggs, asparagus, broccoli, and a cup of coffee every morning. And, and, and they smoke 40 a day. Yeah. They just, they're long lived. It's just full of spirit. <laughs> um, we're going to have to move on to uh, fact number three. And that's my fact. My fact this week is that the Statue of Liberty originally wore a headscarf. So the Statue of Liberty was originally designed for Egypt, and it was originally meant to be at the mouth of the Suez Canal. It was going to be standing there with a torch in hand. It was going to be a peasant lady. And it was going to, it was all designed. It was all ready. And then Egypt had a financial situation where they couldn't afford it anymore. And the guy who was called um, Bartholdi, he was an architect, he was so distressed that he had this colossal thing that was going to be built that was no longer built. He went back to France. He was French. And he then said, why don't we make a new similar, very similar looking thing <laughs> for America, and that became the Statue of Liberty. So originally it was meant to be a, a peasant woman yeah. standing at the Suez Canal. You said torch in hand, actually, the head of Egypt, when he agreed to it, wanted the torch on the head rather than the hand, which would have looked a bit weird, wouldn't it? It's it's interesting because it was um, it it's it represents so much for America <laughs> and this guy obviously when he was trying to get it made in America as well he had to deny so much about the fact that it was originally meant to be uh, right. for Egypt and everyone was like but it feels like you were definitely pitching this in Egypt no. for a long time it's like, <laughs> no, definitely not no, totally it, different yeah and so they kept bringing up stuff like well okay how about the fact that when you've now repitched it to us you still want the Statue of Liberty not on what we now know as the classic stand 
that the Statue of Liberty is on. He wanted it on a pyramid. <laughs> he just did a really bad job of losing the Egypt connection. And then they said, um, they said, but it's literally the same design. You've got a torch being held up. And he was like, oh, okay, sure. So how the hell am I meant to design a lighthouse effectively without a torch being up there for the light? Forgetting to point out that in both of the designs, the lighthouse element of it was in the head. <laughs> so again, he just kept shooting himself uh, in the yeah. foot. But yeah, you, you talked about the um, you talked about the kind of plinth that it's on. Yes, but that was paid for by America, right? Yeah. So France paid for the statue, and America paid for the plinth. But America couldn't get any money for the plinth. And so they had a big sort of campaign to try and get it. And there was a company called Castoria who made laxatives who offered to give all the money if the name of the laxative would be displayed on the top of the statue. <laughs> wow. Really? That's good, it's it? a very different kind of liberty, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Free and easy movements. Um, <laughs> So the, 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 uh, the original sort of garment, the peasant garment, she was designed to be a slave. Uh, but the slave was called, a, uh, the word for it is a fella. Right, F E W L A H, and one of the main conspiracy theories about the Statue of Liberty, I'm straying into your territory oh. here, Dan, uh, is that the model for it was a man, and we don't really know. A lot of people say that the model was um, either mother. Bartholdi's mother, uh, or or the, the face was modelled on his mother. We don't, but we don't know. And what I you're think. saying is that they heard that it was a fella, and they thought, oh, yes. Oh, that's right. where I think it's come from. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, there was a really good book written last year, I think, about the Statue of Liberty, and I can't remember what it's called, but um, the woman who wrote that did hypothesize that he based the face on his brother, who committed suicide, I think, wow. um, whom he really loved. And it does look like a very masculine face. If you look at it, it's a man. Oh, I wouldn't say that. So, it's but, a man in a dress. Yeah. But the, the, <laughs> the only uh, evidence, actually, as far as I could find, that it was based on his mother is the fact that um, someone later on after it had been built went to the opera or went to a big sort of arts event with him and his mother. And when his mother came in, this guy was like, and I turned around and I was like, whoa, it's the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and then he said that to people and they're like, oh, that must be it. So I don't know how credible he is. The idea of the Statue of Liberty was actually by a guy called Laboulai. Uh, who was a friend of Bertoldi. Uh, and he said in a dinner, and this was in a newspaper article of someone who was at that dinner, that it should be a statue that can be seen from the shores of America to the coast of France. That's, that's big. That is a big, big statue. So um, some of the guys at qi.com uh, slash talk, um, Positel and Zed Ziggy, worked out how high it would have to be in order that you'd be able to see it from France. And it would have to be more than 3,000 kilometers high. <laughs> how high? It's, I'm an idiot. How so high the International that? Space Station. High. For it's high. It's high. Yeah. yeah, the ISS goes around, what, like three or 400 kilometers high. So it's like another Whoa. 10 times that much. <laughs> That's massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thomas Edison of uh, of electricity fame <laughs> wanted. He suggested putting a, a massive uh, disc inside the statue so it could deliver speeches from inside it all across New York. Oh my God. Yeah. So uh, like it's talking to you. Yeah, That's exactly. Yeah. And no one took him up on it, thankfully. She, it's weird to think of her as it as originally brown or kind of golden yellowish brown for the first mm. 25 years. Obviously, being made of copper, it was supposed to be this shining golden statue. 
Um, because we so obviously picked her green. And Bartoldi wanted her to be gilded in solid gold. I think at first he tried to petition the American people to raise loads of money to do that. And I think they said, <laughs> we've already raised quite a lot of money. Thanks <laughs> very much. Um, he had real trouble funding it. He tried yeah. to get her image copyrighted so that every single image of her that appeared, he'd get money for it, which was quite in the 1880s, was quite a modern thing to try and do, yeah. and he failed. Did you know, you used to be able to... They had fundraising dinners as well, where they would try, desperately try and raise money, because all they need... They had the statue. All they needed was the pedestal, and you could buy uh, a metre-tall version made of ice cream at these dinners. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, he sold his signature, and uh, Bartholdi sold it 3,000 times to, to raise money for it. Um, and the only way they eventually got the money was by crowdfunding, basically. They printed in... Um, Joseph Pulitzer printed in his paper the name of everyone who gave... Even if you gave a penny to it, they would print your name in the paper. Oh, so, cool. A, it raised a huge amount of money, and B, people bought the paper because they wanted to see their name in it. So circulation rocketed yeah. as well, so it's quite clever. This guy sounds amazing. It sounds like he started copyright laws... Kickstarter. <laughs> this is really advanced thinking. Um, so I went on to uh, TripAdvisor to see what people thought of the Statue of Liberty. And there was one guy called H. Jammer, and he didn't like it very much, actually. <laughs> he said, it was bad because I don't like the site. It's just a statue, nothing else. The tour was bad, and I ordered food at the court, and the person sneezed on my burger. <laughs> I really don't get it. This was the worst trip ever. One star. <laughs> um, we're going to have to move on uh, to our final fact. You guys got anything more that you want to add to that? No, let's no, move it. Okay. Time for a final fact of the evening, and that is James Harkin. Okay, my fact this week is that a polo mint takes 42.5 minutes to dissolve if you stick it up your nose. <laughs> And first-hand QI research is the best kind. <laughs> Own research. I yeah. actually, when I read that, I stopped on the way to get polo mints. Um, so for the rest of the show, I we, might have one. We've only got 15 minutes left, so just have half. <laughs> <laughs> While he's doing that, I'll explain the point of this fact. So <laughs> this it was a fact given to me by, by my mum, actually, which is quite nice. And she found this study. Uh, it was by a guy called Dan Leopard. And he's an ENT specialist at the University Hospital of Wales. And he wanted to see how long it took... <laughs> For people at home, Dan is inserting candy into his nose. I'm being put off here. Um, no, they, he studied five different popular sweets favoured by children and saw how long it took to dissolve in the nose. And the idea is, he put them up his own nose, and the idea is that when children get things stuck up their noses, it's kind of hard to get it out and it's quite, you know, not a very nice thing. But he thought if they dissolve quickly, then maybe you don't have to go through that whole thing. You just, just let nature do its thing. So actually it's quite an important study, even though it's a bit dumb. I like that. Yeah, How's that going over there? Everything smells great. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it's, it's actually quite... Um, like, I know, I know that's not the point of it, but actually it's, it's making my nose feel like I'm getting more air. Okay, so other sweets. Uh, Skittles take 37.5 minutes to dissolve in your nose. Smarties, 32.5. And Tic Tacs, 27.5. So I'm now extremely sceptical about this study because... One of my friends is here who stuck a sour skittle up her nose um, <laughs> once. On a date or just... Not for a date, actually, just for fun, I think. Um, and apparently it was extremely painful. It started exploding in her nose. She tried to, like, push it out, and it ended up in her eye socket. <laughs> <laughs> 
All the weird sour acid was streaming out of her nose and like bits of her eye socket were falling out of her face and stuff. And she managed to get to A&E, I think, which implies that it does take longer than that. Maybe sour skittles have a different dissolving You might be right. I don't think this is really important to say at this point, but don't try this at home. (laughs) Although, quick update, it feels smaller. And actually, I can feel the tight, it's smaller. So about polos, did you know that if you snap a polo in open in the dark, then it glows? I didn't know this, and I couldn't try it at home because it was daytime when I read this. um, And nobody knows why. So it's this thing called triboluminescence, uh, that if you turn all the lights out, snap a polo, uh, they think it's about electrons suddenly rushing to a certain point of the polo. And it happens with polos. It also happens with sellotape. If you whip sellotape off its roll really fast in the dark, then it will glow at the point where it's being whipped off. And it also emits x-rays. And they did an experiment last year where they managed to get an x-ray of a researcher's finger by just the x-rays emitted by sellotape. He just whipped off sellotape and he managed to get an x-ray through that off his own finger. Blimey. How cool is that? That is awesome. It's very cool. So when you go to hospital in future, they'll just have a massive roll of sellotape. (laughs) Stand in front of the sellotape, please. <laughs> or a polo. Um, I have something about uh, smelling things and okay. noses. Yep. So uh, when people who are asthmatic smell something that they think is going to cause them an allergic reaction, they will have an allergic reaction, even if the thing they're smelling doesn't cause an allergic reaction. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. And it's because you, from when you smell something, it goes to your brain before it goes to your lungs, as it were, the, the signals of what you've smelled. And they, they tested 17 asthmatics... Uh, exposing them to a rose-smelling chemical for a quarter of an hour, and nine of them were told it was it would irritate their uh, asthma, and the rest were told that it would calm them down, and that's exactly what happened, even though it was the same stuff. Really? How cool is that? Yeah, no that's allergies yeah. are all in the mind. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, these people should stop making no, stuff. No. <laughs> With their epipens. No, it's the. It's the... <laughs> It's the, it's the opposite of that. <laughs> it is in the mind, but the mind is also a real thing, yeah. basically. <laughs> in some people, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's, they have... Um, my Another one of my friends is a paediatric nurse, and she recently changed <laughs> hospitals, and as part of the showing her around the new ward, she works in A&E, part of showing her around the new ward, they were like, and this is where we keep the metal detector, and they have now, in a lot of paediatric A&E wards, metal detectors, because it's a much easier way and less expensive way than an x-ray of if a kid comes in and says, I've eaten, like, 17 marbles, not marbles, things made of metal. <laughs> uh, That's for the marble bearing. detector, yeah. <laughs> marble detector. Um, you just go down their body. Oh, that's wow. clever. Because this in this paper um, of the polo thing, they did say that if a child states they have inserted a sweet into their nose and it cannot be visualised, one must believe that there is indeed a sweet and not an inorganic or corrosive object. In other words, you have to trust the kid. Otherwise, if he says it's a sweet and actually it's something bad. Yeah. But I also want trouble. to know what these mystery sweets are that no one can visualise. <laughs> well, when they're We've in never your heard nose. of this kind of sweet before. <laughs> <laughs> can you describe it? No. <laughs> So um, I I read a report that there was, originally we thought that the nose had about 10,000 ways of smelling. We could smell 10,000 different things. And that recently, they they looked into it again and like, oh, we got the number a bit wrong. It's actually a trillion, which is a bit of a... We'll be honest, we got bored counting. (laughs) At the moment, obviously. All of us except Mike, who kept going. How can we we know that? It seems like such a high number. I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. Dan can only smell mint at the moment. (laughs) 
Uh, second update, definitely getting smaller. <laughs> Wondering if it might just fall out on its own accord. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, I, so, but I, I was, so it got me uh, thinking about how, because I've always thought like, you know, you, they test people for how good their hearing is and, and eyesight you can see uh, quite well. And I thought smell, that must be, we must have humans who have amazing smell. Yep. And there's a guy actually who his job, and it's one of the most important jobs in the world, I think, uh, this is his job title. He's NASA's sniffer, right? Okay. NASA has a sniffer who smells everything before it goes into space. And this is how powerful his nostrils are. If he doesn't like the smell, it doesn't go. Literally, his nostrils are the gateway to off-planet Just... activity. Because uh, if you put something up into the International Space Station and it starts to smell after a few months, then that can be You chaos. can't open a window. You can't open a window, you can't get it out. Yeah. So his nose has the ability to smell the tiniest of smells so he can see if that smell exists and if it's there, it can then eventually uh, turn into something bigger. But so his job, he's tested every four months to see with, with a bunch of tiny little test tubes and one, some of them have no smell and some have the tiniest of smell. And if he fails, he loses his job and he still has a job. He's got the best nostrils on earth. Do you think he can smell all trillion things in the world? I have no possible? idea. Yeah, I just don't know how you... I mean, maybe they can try very, very similar things and you can yeah. smell the difference between them. I have some things about um, things that get stuck up the rectum. Oh, God. <laughs> which, Dan, you're lucky this wasn't my actual fact. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> that would have been a very different experiment. Um, it, the 1995 Ig Nobel Prize in Literature was given to two surgeons who uh, made a study called Rectal Foreign Bodies, Case Reports, and a Comprehensive Review of the World's Literature. And here are some of the things that they found that people had put up their bottoms. I might, I'll stop halfway through this, I think, when it gets too much. But seven light bulbs a knife sharpener, two flashlights, a wire spring, a snuff box. Sorry, was the second flashlight to try and find the first? We've <laughs> <laughs> just got dozens up there now. This is not the same rector. <laughs> He's a different rector. So um, 11, di 11 different forms of fruits, vegetables, and other food stuff, a jeweler's saw, a frozen pig's tail, um, and then one patient's remarkable ensemble collection, including spectacles, a suitcase key, a tobacco pouch, and a magazine. <laughs> a magazine? If you forget your handbag, I mean, what else do you do? It does sound like he was going on a journey. <laughs> like he's got everything he needs. Yeah. Mike, I... where's your bag? I don't need a bag. <laughs> yeah, but then, why does he need a suitcase key if his rectum is acting as his suitcase? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That must I'll be the that... key inside the case again. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be the best day of your life if you were one of those immigration officers who puts the glove on and heads in to fight some drugs? It's like, a, what is this, really Mary Poppins? With that? <laughs> That's no version of Mary Poppins I've seen. <laughs> Goodness me. Um, we're going to have to wrap up very... Oh, no. Very quickly, James, <laughs> give us more. What have you got? Okay, um, one way that you could get out of being in the army was to pretend that you had polyps of the nose. Uh, and this is like a little tumour inside your nose, and if you had it, you wouldn't get in the army. And so people pretended, and here's a quote, attempts have been made to simulate this affection, uh, affection of the nose by, inducing, by introducing the testes of a cock or the kidneys of a rabbit into the nostril and retaining them there by means of a small piece of sponge, which is sometimes impregnated with fetid juices. <laughs> but if it's that or war... You know, I'll fight in the war. <laughs> Frontline Murray. I'm not a violent man, but I'll take the war, please. 
Uh, and another wow. thing, um, I uh, we were talking about the Ig Nobel Prizes before, yeah. and um, we're currently doing a bit of a tour with Mark, aren't we? Mark Abrahams, who's in charge of those. And so I asked him about this, and he sent me a paper um, from the Journal of Medical Hypotheses called Ejaculation as a Potential Treatment of Nasal Congestion in Mature Males. Oh. <laughs> Where are you ejaculating? <laughs> Well, apparently, um, <laughs> according to the abstract, its emission phase provides vasoconstriction and nasal decongestion, which I must say I've never noticed myself. <laughs> but, your in, nose clears up when you're having sex. Um, that's what this is saying, yeah. You do have erectile tissue in your nose, so maybe it's that. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I have a normal nose. Maybe this <laughs> Adolescents listening, that's good excuse for when the mum walks in, I think. <laughs> I would just have a blocked up nose. Well, we've already established that Andy's mum is here tonight, so... <laughs> I, it's like, Should've I have that. a blocked up nose. Oh, that's what all the tissues are for. <laughs> um, OK, we're going to have to wrap up. Uh, should we quickly find out <laughs> how my polo is doing in my nose? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so... Oh, God. <laughs> Talk amongst oh, yourselves. No. It's still huge. It's, it's still, still massive. Huge. Oh, oh well, okay. Oh. Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, if you want to find out more about the things that we've said over the course of this podcast, you can get us all on our Twitter handles. I'm on at Schreiberland. James? At Egg Shaped. Sorry. <laughs> Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. And Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. We're going to be back again next week with another episode in the Soho Theatre. Thank you so much for coming to our show tonight. Uh, we'll be back again next week. See you then. Have a good night. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you.